Yes, yes, yes. It is good to be back with you. It's been a little bit of time. It is me, Matt, and I have... I'm here to bring you the rest of the story of John Christostom. John Christostom, and it was a great episode. Our last episode, we learned about him basically from his youth all the way up to taking the prestigious, honorsome spot of the Bishop of Constantinople, which at this time, the time that he lived, was the most influential city in that portion of the world. But before we get started, I want to say thank you for being with us. You can email us at any any time. I'm stumbling over my words tonight. Wow, let me take a drink. Mm. There we go. Okay, words come together for me. All right, so anyway, you can email us at any time at church.ahistory at gmail.com, church.ahistory at gmail.com. You can ask us where we're getting our information from, the books we're reading and getting our resources from. You can ask about um, uh, just further questions about the content, um, and you could just maybe have suggestions for things that you want to learn about in the future. All right, so... With no further ado, let's get into this story. Now, just to back up a little bit, like I said, John Christoston, you can um, look back and you can listen to the last episode and learn about that portion of his life. But basically, what's interesting is because of his popularity as a preacher, he was called the Golden Mouth Preacher. There's some kind of some other... Um, ways of forming that uh, nickname, but that's basically what he was called. And he grew a following because of his preaching. And the authorities in Constantinople said, no, this is not good that the best preacher around is preaching in these other places. So we are going to implore him to come and be the bishop of Constantinople. The, um, this was at a time where the Roman Empire had divided into the west and the east. And here in Constantinople, it was the, um, the influential capital of the east. Um, so what happens here is uh, John Christoston actually says, no, I don't want to go there. I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. And they play this game, all right? The, the authorities play this game where they invite him to come and preach at this small town outside of Constantinople. And while he's there, lo and behold, he is abducted. He is um, put into a carriage with no windows and taken to Constantinople. And they say, here's where you're going to be working now. So what a great interview process that he had. But they had no idea what they were getting. I had no idea. He took the pulpit, he began to preach, and immediately he goes after the clergy. Now, clergy are um, not laymen. Laymen are not clergy. That's not helpful at all, Matt. I know that. Um, so basically, clergy are leaders in the church. Laymen are not leaders in the church. Um, at this time, there's a very stark divide between the leaders of the church um, and those who do not lead. And in Constantinople, the leadership of the church was taking money for themselves like crazy, uh, much like we hear of um, some stories of preachers doing this now. I need money for a plane or whatever. They were doing this kind of stuff, and it was deplorable, really deplorable. 
And along with that, uh, dipping into money, they were also just uh, sexual sin was just inf- just infested into this uh, the leadership of the church in Constantinople. Um, there were multiple priests that had women, and they would say they're um, their sisters, they're God's sisters. They has mother names for them, and and almost like they were they were there to kind of serve them. But everybody knew that they were harems. You'd literally have priests of. Um, smaller churches and larger churches in Constantinople that have women, many women, that would live with them, they would have sex with them, and this was obviously not how it was supposed to be. So John Christoston begins to preach directly against that. Can you imagine? Um, And the leaders in the church start getting very, very upset, but because of his popularity, his skill, um, the fact that he was put there by leadership, um, political leadership and not just church leadership, they just had to deal with it. Um, but then after he preaches to the the pastors, he begins to preach directly to the people in the church in Constantinople. And it makes total sense that they would be engaged in the same thing as the leaders are because the leaders are leading them. Um, they're looking to those leaders. So it's kind of like a complete circle of, of a problem. And we talked about this this passage here, this or this um, this quote by John Christoston, and, and it is intense. And I'll read it again. It says, The golden bit on your horse, the gold circlet on your wrist, on the wrist of your slave, the gilding on your shoes mean that you are robbing the orphan and starving the widow. When you have passed away, each passerby who looks upon your great mansion will say, how many tears did it take to build that mansion? How many orphans were stripped and how many widows were wronged? How many laborers deprived of their honest wages? Even death itself will not deliver you from your accusers. Very sobering stuff. Very sobering stuff. Well, what happens is eventually the the politics catch up to him. That's where we're, we're gonna um, gra- gravitate to gravitate to this evening to tell you a couple stories about what happens to him, and eventually um, he is sent out from his spot because it's it's almost inevitable to preach and to teach and to be so um, intense. And intensely directive to people, especially people in power. Usually, that doesn't go well. And really, the power—the powerful there could not really just—they they could not deal with his voice. He challenged them too much, and he preached a lot in this uh, church called the Church of Saint Sophia in um, Constantinople, which was the largest church in that area. And Eutropus, um, who was the governor who was the emperor, the governor, who made him the bishop, um, expected that he would get special favors from John Christoston and not just to be called out over and over again. But John wasn't like this. He was just convinced that Eutropius was just simply another Christian in need of having the gospel clearly and unambiguously preached to him and that he needed to change his life as well. Um, And the result, of course, is that Eutropius um, repented, but not of his sin, but he repented that he even brought John Christoston to Constantinople. So the leader here is saying this was a dumb idea, all right? I brought this guy here out of vanity because I wanted the best preacher to be in our town, but here he is stirring things up and he is, um, he's, he's coming after me as well. And um, 
Eutropus, uh, what he's going to do is he's going to eventually um, come against the, not come against it, but bring this to the emperor of the entire area. So he, I guess I said he was emperor before. He's a, he's a governor uh, of this area. He goes to the, the emperor um, of, this, of this portion of the Roman Empire, um, and he said that uh, this, this cannot be. This, this, is, this is a problem. Um, and what happens here is God seems to still be on behalf of John Christostom because shortly thereafter, a series of political circumstances um, brought Eutropus uh, down. Okay, so he was actually out, and John Christostom was still there preaching. And the people were jub- jubilant. Um, they began to love uh, John Christoston, and soon, but soon there were mobs demanding vengeance against those who had exploited them. So let me just back up. So the people that were the followers of John Christoston, there was a lot of fear because in this time, um, if the government did not dig what you were doing, you could find yourself um, killed very quickly. Um, the tides would turn, um, and this is how we have the Christians uh, persecuted multiple times. A new government would come in and say, we're not into this. Next thing you know, they are being uh, burned at the stake and fed to animals and all this kind of stuff. Um, so what has taken place here is, well, Eutropus is coming after John Christoston, the governor there. Um, the people that follow John Christoston feel as though their lives could be in danger and their families could be in danger as well. So when Eutropus falls politically, just because of a series of events, we won't go into all those, he falls out of his position. Now those people who were concerned, the followers of John Christoston, they want to attack those people. So they want to turn their anger towards the people that they felt like were going to come after them and their families. And honestly, um, that, uh, that, that makes, um, it, it, it makes some sense, I guess, um, because that's maybe how you would feel. That's maybe how I would feel. Um, but they were, they were upset. Um, and, Really, what happens is they run the people who are now. Listen, the people who are, are not followers of John Christoston. They run to his church, the Church of Sophia, and they embrace the altar. Meaning, they come into the sanctuary and they embrace um, the different portions of the sanctuary where people sit, and all the way up to where people are washing their hands and and where people take communion and all that kind of stuff. And they embrace that, um, and they ask for the right of asylum. So they're saying to John Christoston, "Please um, do not allow." the mob to come after us and to get us. And so here's John Christoston, his followers who have been exploited and who had been um, treated badly during the conflict between John Christoston and Ropus. Um, at this point, he has his followers are wanting to lash back out at the followers of Eutropus, and the, the, the followers of Eutropus now are changing, and they're heading into the Church of St. Sophia, um, and they're claiming um, asylum, which basically means because of where we're at, you can't come. It's like this, like uh, like the safe zone. And we see something that is 
this is one of several of my favorite stories about John Christoston. You have a leader in John Christoston who had the ability at this, it was in his hands, okay? So the people he, his followers were coming after the people who had oppressed them, but the oppressors are now asking for asylum from John Christoston. And as the mob comes towards the church, the mob of John's supporters comes to the church in order to get rid of, take whatever they're going to do, hurt their oppressors, um, the followers of Europus. John stands at the door of the church, and he will not let his followers in to take a swipe at um, the oppressors. He will not let it happen. And he communicates to them that we're going to show love and respect. We're going to be Christ-like to them, regardless of how they were to us. And what a picture. It's, it's a historical thing that happened, but it shows so clearly what it means to follow after what Jesus said. When Jesus says, turn the other cheek, He doesn't mean just sit there and get beat up over and over again, but he is speaking of these types of situations where when the world says an eye for an eye, um, they hurt us, we can hurt them. Um, The followers of Christ step up and they say, no, we're breaking this chain. Um, We defend life, even if it is those who have have, uh, um, caused us pain. So um, this was a big deal. But along with that, uh, Christosin had made uh, more enemies among the powerful. Eudoxius, who's actually the emperor's wife, don't want to tick off the emperor's wife, um, resented the bishop's growing power. And what really happened is over time, leaders began to look at him and say he's too powerful. It became a power thing. His influence in preaching, the influence he has with people, um, there's too much power. And when Christosin described... Um, the pomp and the folly of the powerful, she felt, the empress, um, she felt the people's eyes staring at her. So conviction is really what she's feeling, but she's feeling like she's being called out, much like the governor Europus. It was necessary to silence that voice from the wilderness that had brought such, so much wild ravings to the elegant church of Sophia. Sophia, he's got to get out of here. He's got to, the powerful are just getting there. They are done. With that in mind, the empress made special grants to the church, and the bishop thanked her and continued teaching. Okay, uh, you probably know where this is going. So the empress, um, what she's, she's going to try this. She's going to try to give big, like money offerings to the church. And maybe, just maybe, uh, last chance here, John Christoston is going to see what is given and he is going to say, all right, fine, you know, this is too much of a gift. I will stop directing stuff or preaching stuff that makes you feel uncomfortable because of what you um, what you had had given, and um, uh, the empress had more direct methods of recourse of, of, as well. But this is what she tried to do. And when when Christosin had to leave the city in order to attend some matters in Ephesus, um, Eudoxius joined. Uh, a, 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 one of the leaders in Alexandria in plotting against the meddling preacher. So he goes out of town. She begins to say, you know, I'm going to, we're going to, we got to get rid of him. And upon his return, Christosin found himself the object of a long list of ridiculous charges brought before a small gathering of bishops convened by the empress and her friends, basically. He paid no attention to them. 
of course, this is how he is. <laughs> he looks down. He says, uh, yeah, I didn't do any of those things. I'm just going to get back to uh, preaching and his management of the church. But this was an issue that was not going to go away. Um, these, these, this group of people actually found John Christoston guilty um, and asked that he would be banished. And prodded by um, Eudoxius, the, the, the empress, this, the, her husband, the emperor, again, can't go into his whole story, but he was kind of weak, and he was watching this from afar, and he agreed to that request and ordered Christostan to leave the city. So now, he, after all of this that has taken place, they tell him to leave. And what's interesting is even in the story, even when the—so, it, you know— um, he had he he had a, the mob attack. He had um, political issues. He had church leadership, um, but it really got down to this uh, this relationship with the empress um, Eudoxius that that really pushed things to the point where he had to leave. But all the way up until he left, he focused on one thing that was preaching. So even when he got back from Ephesus, um, he took this the trip they took to Ephesus. When he got back. Um, and they gave him this list of stuff. Most of us would be extremely stressed out. Um, there's this group of people that want to take us down. There's this group of people that are going to put this in front of us and say, um, all these things, we're going to accuse you of all these things, and you are going down. And it's like without stress or anything, he just says, you know what, this isn't true, but you know, you do it, whatever you want with it. I'm going to continue to preach and, um, and, and manage the church. I mean, the situation was tense. Um, the people were upset. Um, the bishops and the other clergy from other towns gathered at the cap- capital and pledged their support of John Christoston. Um, and all that he had to do was give the order, and they would convene a synod, which is basically like a bringing everybody into a courtroom, making this bigger, and and condemn the empress and her followers. Um, and this could be coupled with a popular uprising that sh- would shake the very foundations of the emperor empire. That's the power that he had, and he was able to do any of those things. Just one word from this elegant bishop, because he was the golden mouth preacher. He could get up. He, he, I, I think of uh, um, Abraham Lincoln. Maybe this isn't the best example, but Abraham Lincoln was able to get up in and, and some of the most tense, um, after the Battle of Gettysburg, some of the most tense moments, uh, his second ad- inaugural address, you know, one of the, some of the intense moments of the Civil War, he got up and he would speak and he'd know exactly what to say to say things that would move things forward. It's almost like he, like the people were like putty in his hands. And, and this is what is happening here. But Chris Dostin had no intention or desire to do this. He loved peace. Um, and therefore, he said, I'm out. And he started making his plans to where he was going to go next into exile, into another city. He was done. He was going to leave. He felt as God called him there. Um, and he felt like he was heading out. Three days after receiving this imperial edict, which was kicking him out of the city, he bid farewell to his friends and his followers and surrendered to the authorities. So at this point, we know that they're actually not just kicking him out, but the edict means that there are going to be imperial probably soldiers and um, people from the church as well that are going to come around him and make sure that he goes out and he doesn't make a problem. 
But the populace, the people who loved him, his followers, we know from earlier, they are diehards. They were not ready to give up. And the streets were just, uh, there were riots that were happening. Um, and what was happening is uh, uh, the people who were against John, Eudoxia and Arcadius and, and some of these other people um, that, that forced him out, um, and, and the army themselves, actually the, the, the armed army in Constantinople did not want to show themselves in public. But that night, in what was taken as a sign of divine wrath, the earth quaked. So history says that... Um, in uh, history is not always accurate, but what we see from history and what people will say is the night that John Christoston was actually exiled out of Constantinople, there is an earthquake. Um, and this is also the night where his opposers are, are hiding and there's a mob um, that's supporting him and not wanting him to leave. And there's an earthquake. And again, the thing that's so crazy about this is John Christoston over and over in his career pushed things to peace, love, tranquility. I don't want this stuff going on. But even his followers continue to become a problem. They, they want to mob. They want to get, you know, and what's going to happen here is, is they're going to see that there's a reason why um, their bishop was telling them not to act this way and to be peaceful in a very real way. It reminds me of Jesus in the garden, um, where Jesus Judas comes and he uh, betrays Jesus with a kiss, and um, there's soldiers, Roman soldiers come up, and there's uh, from the religious leaders they come up too, and there's this group that comes up, and uh, Peter takes out a knife. What's he doing with the knife? Who knows? Um, cuts off one of the uh, um, soldier's ears. Jesus puts the ear back on as kind of like a pretty epic, uh, you know, a very peaceful, epic um, miracle in the midst of what's going on, but also to teach, all right, you guys need to, this is, don't find an army and try to rescue me because God has called me to a certain place. So there's this earthquake that takes place a few days later in response to the fearful and urgent pleas of um, Eudoxia. So she's freaking out. Um, John Christoston, look what he does. He returns to the city and to his pulpit. All right. So <laughs> so basically what you have going on here is this back and forth that's kind of never ending while he's there. His followers who are mad that he's been kicked out they're looking for Eudoxia, who's the empress. And remember, he's been kicked out because the empress has begged her husband, who's the emperor, to send John Christoston out. And he's out, and now people are upset. Well, what does Eudoxia do? She asks for him to come back, okay? I want you out, and I want you back because I am in trouble. So he comes back, and not only does he come back and just make an appearance, he goes back to his church um, in St. Sophia, um, to his pulpit where he received shouts of acclamation. And it's, well, this seems as though this is going to go good, but you know it won't. But although the bishop had returned, the causes of his conflict were not resolved. So these issues were not resolved. After a few months of additional intrigue, confrontation, humiliation, um, Christassen received a new order of exile. I mean, okay, <laughs> it's... He, he's, he's just, when, he's, when we want him there, he's there. We don't want him there. We don't want him there. He is a great example of how Christians view Jesus. Um, we don't care about him. I, we don't think about him. 
uh, we don't talk like we're supposed to talk. We don't live like we're supposed to live. But if we get cancer, oh my gosh, we need Jesus right there. Jesus, take the wheel of this cancer, Carrie Underwood style. Um, take away all this. Jesus, Jesus, we need you. And I'm not saying I'm not saying that anytime someone comes before the Lord, that's a good thing. But there is something about human beings that take when we want it and get it out when we don't want it. And that's exactly what's happening in this entire political, church-wide, and public system here um, in Constantinople. So these issues had not been... Um, been dealt with. So once again, he refused to heed the advice of his friends. Um, and, and John Christoston, he answered it and he did and quietly surrendered to the soldiers. This is round two, who came after him rather than stirring up a riot that would cause the people further suffering, which is what he was concerned about. But the riot was inevitable. So the mobs, they do their thing. And here's where they get hit in ways that John never wanted them to get hit. Mobs flocked to the city. Um, they flocked to the, um, would be like the suburb of Constantinople. Um, they flocked to the church, to the surrounding areas. And the army was ordered to get this under control, this disturbance. In the ensuing struggle, um, that took place. The cathedral and several buildings nearby caught fire and were destroyed. So the places he, John Christos was preaching from, this turned into a war zone, literally, with his followers and those who need to stop. And his followers are literally getting tracked down by, um, by soldiers. Um, now, the cause of the fire was never um, completely discovered. Um, this happened in Rome, uh, Western, this happened in Rome multiple times too. This was just a thing that would happen historically. It would happen because um, these cities were pretty flammable, um, the way that they were built. Um, so something could happen really quickly. So they never knew, did somebody start this? Um, is someone tearing stuff down, much like uh, um, riots that happen now, or was this an accident? Um, but during um, all of this taking place, um, John Christoston's supporters were taken under um, they were taken under arrest. Some of them were tortured, um, and some of his friends, his closest friends, were banished. Um, and it just turned into a, a horrible, horrible, horrible thing. Um, and 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 meanwhile, while that's happening in the city. Um, he was led into exile to a remote village of Cacusus. 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 Uh, and since he lacked a pulpit there, he took up the pen, and the world was moved. And this is where he becomes a writer, um, innocent. Innocent, the bishop of Rome, took up John Christoston's cause, so the the Western Roman Empire, and many followed his example. The emperor's actions were criticized from every quarter, especially those from Alexandria and those who did not like um, John Christoston. So there's a very powerful, there's an emperor on both sides, the emperor in the West said, you know, he kind of, uh, um, he supported him. Um there's controversy that came with this, um, uh, but what ends up happening is even with this, even with the support of the emperor of the West, um, John Christoston was ordered to go even further. So they just keep moving him back further and further. Um, in this place, was a cold and unknown hamlet on the shores of the Black Sea. 
Um, the so soldiers were guarding him. They just their role was just to guard him and make sure that his writings were not causing problems, and being aware that their charge did not have the goodwill of the crown. They paid uh, no attention to his his health and his food and all this kind of stuff. Um, and during the journey, um, what happened, this drove him to um, just places that were beyond his strength, and he got um, seriously ill. Um, so the, the soldiers, at their, as they're pushing him further and further, and that's kind of what everybody kind of realized in the political system and also the higher-ups in the church, they were saying, you know, it's, we just need to get him out. We need to get him out. And, and even when he, he wasn't able to preach, he would write. And, and that's what we have mostly. We don't have, obviously, recordings of him preaching. We know that he's called, called the Golden Mouth Preacher, but we have, I, I wish we could hear him preach because he was probably incredible, obviously, um, just able to energize entire regions with his preaching. But he could also write, and that's what we know of, and that's what we can read. But when he perceived that death was near, he asked to be taken to a small church by the roadside, which is it's an interesting place for this to end as far as he's concerned because he has preached from the heights of heights. Okay, He has preached from, think about whatever church is in your community, your area that's like the church, the huge church, the big church. That's where he had been. He'd been, he, and, and here he is, um, and he's just surrounded by not family, not friends, just these soldiers who don't really care about him because they don't need to care about him because their bosses don't care. All right? Um, there he took communion. This was at this church, and he had the wherewithal and he had the ability to bid farewell to those around him and to um, to this to the uh, uh, soldiers. And it's in what church history and tradition says is there were some people that came to there, a very small amount, and he preached his briefest sermon. So he preached a sermon. And this is how he closed his sermon. He said, In all things, glory to God. Amen. In all things, glory to God. Amen. And his death was, uh, once people knew what had happened, even though they tried to push him out as far as possible, it went throughout the entire empire, both west and eastern parts of the empire. Um, the church mourned. There were even political leaders who were against him um, when he was in Constantinople that also mourned. And this is John Christoston. So let's just think of a couple things that we can pull out of his life that maybe we can apply to our own lives, all right? So first is this. He loved peace. He loved peace. Um, but he also was willing to preach against that which was wrong, all right? Now, how do you do that? And, and, and most of us are not preachers, all right? So for you, how can you be peaceful, but also be strong and bold and say what is right. Let's think about Facebook for a second, okay? Um, when we think about Facebook, there are edifying ways to glorify God and to give your testimony without attacking other people and making it a war zone, right? That's a good example. All right, your family, okay? You may have family that are not Christians, okay? So you can love them, and by loving them, communicate through your love, and when they ask questions, you answer questions with gentleness and humility instead of picking fights when you get together, um, whether it's for a drink or for um, a holiday or those things that bring us together, weddings and death, 
funerals and all that kind of stuff. Those are two examples, all right? So he loved peace, but he was also very, very bold. Number three, he had conviction and he held to that conviction, all right? Throughout his entire life, he held to that conviction. Um, for peace, okay, we talked about peace. Peace was a conviction of his. So it didn't matter who, where peace needed to take place. It didn't matter it, who was wrong. It didn't matter if his, his supporters were trying to defend him. He would stop in order for peace to take place. He had conviction about the church and what the church was supposed to be. He had conviction about what, that preaching is preaching into the Bible. He had conviction about what church leadership was supposed to look like. And he did not shy away from that. When he got to Constantinople, he begins to preach against um, the sins of the church the sexual immorality, the, the stealing of money, all of this kind of stuff. Even when he first gets there, it seems as though people are intrigued by that, but he ultimately, that's why he ends up destitute, dying on a roadside in a small church with a few guards and a few people um, and not a funeral of thousands. So he had a conviction. So um, John Christoston is an incredible, incredible um uh, person in church history, and I want to encourage you to to learn more about him. I've had people say, "Is it okay to look at Wikipedia?" It is. You know, it is. That's a great place to. You can look at Wikipedia. You can Google somebody. That's fine. Um, we just want you to be interested because we can learn so much. And again, these church history people, we're not we're not saying they are at the same level of Jesus or the authors of the Bible. Um, we are saying that these are people worth knowing who they are. So John Christoston, and again, I'll spell it for you so you know the last name. It's it's C H R Y S. O-S-T-O-M. And here's a quote I'm going to leave you with, okay? Here's a quote I'm going to leave you with, and and um, I'm excited for what we're going to do next, okay? In between this, uh, this podcast and what we do next, I'm going to do another book giveaway. And it was exciting because literally um, probably 100 of you um, uh, got involved in the last time we did that. And what I'll do again is I'll just say, um, I'll do another podcast. I'll release it, just a short, probably 10-minute thing that says this is the book we're giving away. If you're the first one um, to email us at church.ahistory at gmail.com, we'll give you this book, and maybe the first three will get a book. Um, and that's how we'll do that. And just uh, also help us kind of get some of your information as well. So this is a quote by John Christoston. He says, How think you that you obey Christ's commandments when you spend your time collecting interest piling up loans, buying slaves like livestock, and merging business with business. And that is not all. Upon all this you heap injustice, taking possession of lands and houses, and multiplying poverty and hunger. What a powerful, powerful challenge to know that we do not live in a vacuum. And he's saying to you, and he's saying to me, that the decisions we make, we need to think not just about ourselves, but how they impact others, because we are to be people of flourishing and a blessing and people of peace, people that love the scripture, people who are bold, and people who are confident in what the Bible tells us. Have a great evening, and I will see you again soon.